0: This is episode number 971 with one of the most inspirational speakers in the world, Les Brown. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur, and each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Mark Twain once said, The secret of getting ahead is getting started. And Bob Marley said, The greatness of a man is not how much wealth he acquires, but in his integrity and his ability to affect those around him positively. My guest today personifies greatness for his integrity and the positive impact he's had on the world. When I first sat down with motivational speaking icon Les Brown back in 2017, I was blown away by his attitude towards life. I felt like I had so much more to ask him, and I'm fortunate I got another chance with him today to sit down and interview him on his unique perspective and in this unique moment of the world. Now, Les is also out with a new book called You've Gotta Be Hungry, which distills everything he's learned over the past four decades about finding your inner greatness. And we have such incredible brands that match and align. Make sure you go pick up a copy of his book Today. And in this interview, we talk about how Les's childhood informed his outlook on racial injustice in America. The teacher who empowered Les to see himself in a positive light as opposed to the negative light he saw himself. Why mental resolve is the most essential skill there is. How to overcome the perception of others and create a perception for yourself. This was big. And I think this is going to be a huge teaching moment for so many people listening. How to overcome the perception of others and create a perception of yourself. And if you're finding value in Les's wisdom, make sure to share this with someone who needs to hear it. And without further ado, let me introduce to you the one, the only Les Brown.
1: Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
2: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
0: In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com, where their award-winning app, State Farm, lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And that Les Brown is in the house, the school of greatness, my friend, who uh, has been around for 75 years young. Who You told me just before we got on here, you've been fighting cancer for 27 years. You've yeah. been... Uh, widely known as one of the most inspirational, motivational speakers in the world, helping Fortune 500 companies to small business owners to everyone in between really tap into their greatness. You're an inspiration to myself and so many people. And you've got a book called You've Got to Be Hungry uh, that's out right now that is doing incredibly well and is 20 years in the making. And I'm curious, we've been talking just before this, which we'll add in the interview about racial injustice, which you've been a big proponent of speaking out against for many years and your time working in Ohio in government and your time working in radio as a speaker as all these different areas of your life. But you've just been through a lot personally of challenges in your life from, you know, we have a similar story of growing up dyslexic with learning disabilities, with challenges in school. I remember the story you shared in our last interview in 2017 about, you know, teachers just calling you dumb and things like this. I feel very connected to that story because of my experiences in school. And yet you've overcome so many challenges in your 75 young years. Can you share the biggest challenge you've
3: had to overcome? The biggest challenge I had to overcome, and it's a continuous challenge, is allowing myself to see myself beyond my circumstances and mental conditioning, to live out of my imagination rather than my history. When you are raised in a culture that that constantly demean you, marginalize you, and stifle your potential to move forward. I remember reading a quote by a guy named Richard Wright who said, the impulse to dream has been slowly beaten out of me through the experiences of life. So just imagine in 1963, when I graduated from high school, now that's, you know, that, that's a long time ago, <laughs> my, my grandson said, Grandpa, how old are you? And I said, 75. He said, you are old. <laughs> <laughs> 19, in 1963, Here's what the statistics were in 1963, that if you're an African-American, you're the last hired and the first fire. If you're wow. an African-American, that a, a white college trained black person has less of a chance of getting a job than a white high school dropout. That's in 1963. Wow. According to the Federal Reserve, that still exists. So, so just imagine when an African-American graduates from college and in debt, that a white high school dropout today will earn more money, three times more money, than that white college, than that black college graduate. Three times more, all right? Why? Because of his paint job. I'll never forget, Lewis, I saw an interview with Larry King, and this white supremacist was being interviewed. And he said, tell me, why do you you hate black people? He said, because they're black. So, and he said, and? He said, and I'm white. So Larry said, what did you have to do with that? And and this white supremacist said, what? He said, what did you have to do with your being born white? And he didn't have an answer. Hmm. He just got quiet. And, and Larry, in that question, that strategic question, it created an aha moment, hopefully for that young man. I saw this video yesterday, this lady said, I've got grandchildren, I hate y'all, and I'm teaching my grandchildren to hate you too. Wow. Yes, and I'll never forget when I was on a bus coming back from Miami Beach with my mother, and they had signs on Miami Beach that said, Jews, dogs, and cullets not allowed. And, and so I asked my mother. I said, Mama, why do they hate us so much? And she said, Leslie, I don't know. But don't you ever be like them. Don't you ever be like them. God is love. And he who dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in them. You love people, regardless of how they treat you. And that is always good in my life. That is, that, that, that grabbed me because when she, she could have very easily, because of the experiences that she would had, that taught me to be hateful. Because hatred is taught. It's people not born with that. And the, a little boy asked me, a second grader, what do you mean by you got to be hungry? <laughs> I said, the greatness within the win. I said, when the average person start out in life, don't realize the odds are stacked against them. And you have got to call on everything in you to get ahead. I said, how old are you? He said, seven. I said, when I was five years old, I was downtown Miami, and it was like 95 degrees. And I ran to a water fountain. I was with my mother. The neighbor said, Mamie, we can watch the other six, but you're going to have to take Leslie with you because he's a little touched at the head. <laughs> so they didn't want to keep me. So I let my mother's dress go. She, I would hold, We went downtown with her. We would hold her dress because she would walk real fast. And I ran up to this water fountain, Louis, and I started drinking water from it. And my mother said, don't you ever do that again. Grab me by the neck. And I talk about this in the book. And she started punching me in. And in the face, and the head, and I was shocked. I said, Mama. She had this crazed look in her eyes. I said, it's me. It's it's me, Mama. And all of a sudden, a white police officer came by. And he said, OK. He had a billy club in his hand. You can stop beating that little boy now. I won't have to beat him. And he looked at me as I was crying and just laughed. <laughs> wow. As he walked away. And my mother. She grabbed me, and I was crying, and, and she said, Leslie, I'm so sorry, but when I saw the redness in his face and how he had his billy club out, and he was coming to beat you with it, she said I had to do something to distract him. She said, because had he hit you with that billy club, he would have had to kill me, oh and I left you and your brothers and sisters to fend for yourselves. You have no relatives. And at that moment, five. I knew that the, there was two worlds. I was in, I was in a, a world where I was limited, where I could what water fountain I could drink from. When we got on the bus, there would be seats up front, and there would be a yellow line, and and there were standing room in the back where where black people were seated. And and Mama would say, "Keep moving." I said, "Mama, there are seats up here." Did you hear me say, "Keep moving, keep moving"? So when you are in that kind of environment where you are judged based upon nothing other than the color of your skin, that's very humiliating. I had another experience that it just, that really tilted the scale for me being the person that I am. And because I I I love my mother. I'm a mama's boy. Mm -hmm. I I always say, this is the Mrs. Mamie Brown's baby boy. (laughs) And and so I was determined that I was going to create a world that my mother could live in and not be humiliated and not be held back and and a better life than she had lived in Stewart, Florida, And, and what I experienced coming up in Miami. Uh, being African-American, there were so many things that was just a part of the culture, things that exist now. But to believe and understand that it's, it's going on now, it's, it's surprising. But what is heartwarming is the broad scale support. Now, something Benjamin Franklin said, he said, change will never come about until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Wow. Okay? And, and so you have white people who are unaffected by this, but they're outraged. Mm-hmm. They're saying, hey, this is not right. And they're putting themselves in harm's way. I, I, I saw one white lady, they shot her with rubber bullets, and, and, and she lost that. She's mm-hmm. permanently blind in one eye. And and so there have been places where the white turnout and other groups, are very strong, of people out of a sense of humanity saying, this is not America. And and, and it's been sustained because the people can see it. Mm-hmm. And to, to see George Floyd have his life taken away, the, the, the guy who did that, one of the guys who was in the, and right there near him where he could have said to the cop that was on George Floyd, come on, man. come on," He said he can't breathe. Come on. Let's, it's four of us. He's handcuffed. He can't get away from us. Come on, get, get, you know, get your knee off his neck. He didn't do this. So this lady saw one of the guys in the grocery store who was charged with complicity. And, and she said, do you have any regrets? He said, no. Wow. No. So, so therefore, he, he thought it was okay to take this guy's life for a $20 counterfeit bill that they found not to be counterfeit. Hmm. You know, so to lose your life and someone say, when you are asked, do you have any regrets? And you say, no. Man, let me tell you something, that's heavy. That, that says a lot. Yeah. Do you feel like there is,
0: you know, we haven't really progressed that much at all?
3: Or is there progress? No, I think there's been great progress. There's no question about that. No question. And the that you just have people who, that, that this is for the first time under this leadership that we have, feel comfortable coming out. they are people that this, this level of hatred has been instilled and passed on generation after generation after generation. What makes it seem so pervasive and so dominant has been the exposure. It's never been exposed like this. The Internet, that's why North Korea and various dictatorships don't allow media to have the right to expose things, the inequities and the unlawful behavior in their country including our country this had it not been for the internet we would not know about this because the television executives had a meeting after the rodney king um, riots and say when something like this happens again we will not show it we will just report it okay so but the internet because of the telephones now these cops have been getting away with murder they can't just get away with it. Although, even when they go to court, they 93.9% get off, never go to court. And of those who don't, do go to court, I mean, who are indicted, never are charged and sentenced. Maybe around 2% are, are sentenced and found guilty. Because the judge and the prosecuting attorney on the side of that officer. So it's it's the, the, well I feel the like they can always make it,
0: they can always make a case I guess for well he was attacking me and this is in the the law on how we can defend ourselves as police, right? When they
3: asked the when they asked the cops why did you beat this guy that that I I said this man served our country in Vietnam. He should not be treated like that. He was holding a baby. And they said he was fighting with one hand. And, okay, come on. I've got, I've, I, when I was on the air, and this is in the 80s, I editorialized against police brutality and deadly use of force. Uh, they said he he had a he had a threatening stance, so, so I shot him. One guy I'll never forget. He was in the car, and police approached the car, and they shot him five times. And they said he held his hand up, even though they he didn't see a gun, but he moved his finger, and he thought that. He had a gun, and so they killed him, and they got off with it. So the they any they couldn't come, come up with any type of flimsy excuse. I thought my life was in danger, like the guy here in Atlanta was shot five times in the back, and they said that thought he was going to turn around and shoot with a taser. And and the and the truth of the matter is that cop was mad because. His taser was taken away from him, so he he, he pumped five bullets in him. He said, no, "No, no, no! There will not be a trial here. This is taking place now." And so that level of madness and lack of value for human life—it's—it's it's deep in the culture. But, it's, but did you, how did it's you personally? Yeah,
0: and how did you personally overcome so much from? racism as a young child when, when your mother essentially had to beat the crap out of you in order to defend you from the police beating you up even more to you know not being able to sit uh anywhere on the bus that you wanted to go on to just having the challenges in school to your career how did you personally learn the skills to overcome so many challenges in the world in your internal mind and, and world and in life?
3: You know, when I, the title of the book, You've Got to Be Hungry, The Greatness Within to Win. Greatness comes out of adversity. And the defining moment for me was when my mother was working for a lady named Miss Harris. I was responsible for cleaning some spots off the floor. My mother was called by Miss Harris. She said, Mamie, I want you to go in another room and find a hat that I'm looking for, the one I had three Sundays ago. And when my mother went in that room, I heard a slapping sound. I heard my mother clapping her hands. And I said, Mama, I was curious. I said, why are you clapping your hands? She said, don't you worry, Leslie. You just keep on doing what you're doing and get those spots up off the floor. Then she came out of the room and she said, Miss Harris, I don't see it in there. So she said, well, go in this other room. And Mama went in the other room and sure enough, she started clapping her hands again. And I said, Mama. She said, what? She was aggravated now. I said, why are you clapping your hands? She said, didn't I tell you to do what you're supposed to do? But at that moment, Ms. Harris came over, and, and she stood over me. She said, I can tell you why she's clapping her hands. And I stood up, and I looked in the eyes. Now, during this time, as a Black person, you were not allowed to look white people in the eyes. You should always look down, wow. OK? or you could be arrested or beaten. So I looked her in the eyes and she said, the reason that I have your mother clapping her hands, when I have colored people working for me and I can't see them when they go in another room, I make them clap their hands to make sure they're not stealing. Oh my goodness. I said, "Ma'am," I said, "Miss Harris, let me tell you something. My mother does not steal. When she talked about you and your family, she said, I work for Miss Harris and she talked about our children and she knows all your children's names and their birthday. My mother is an honest person. She'll never steal from you or anybody. And she was so shocked. And she just looked at me and she just turned and walked out of the room. And when I got back down on that floor, Louis, and started scrubbing that floor, I said, nobody will never make my mother clap her hands again because they think that she will be stealing. I remember going back on the bus, and I was quiet. And she said, Leslie, why are you so quiet? I said, because I'm not a man. I want to be a man. She said, you'll be a man soon enough. You're 10 years old. How long before I become a man? Eight years. I want to become a man now. She said, why? I said, if I was a man now, Mama, I can buy groceries for us. Listen, mama, and, and, and we won't have to wait till the people you work for eat and then give us leftovers. If I was a man now, I, I would not have to wait until somebody's worn clothes for a year and we wear their hand-me-down clothes. And if I was a man now, nobody will ever make you clap your hands because they think that you're stealing. She said, Miss Harris told you that, didn't she? I said, yes, ma'am. That's why I want to be a man now. And she just got quiet. She said, Leslie, don't worry about it. Just be a good boy. Mm. And I said, I will, mama. I'm going to take care of you. You'll never have to work again when I turn 18. When I turn 18, I took care of my mother until she passed at 89. She never paid another bill. I worked. Yeah. That tilt the scales. That experience, that moment. Yes. Yes. That to, to make her, she was such a wonderful person. I only had a third grade education, and I always say I'm on programs, I said, because of two women. One gave me life, the other one gave me love. God took me out of my biological mother's womb and placed me in the heart of my adopted mother. So she was quite a woman. Yes, she was. Mm. I'm a mama's boy, as you can detect. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) What do you think has been the greatest skill you've developed over the years? Is it the ability to overcome adversity? Is it the ability to use your words? What, what is that skill you think that you possess has given you so much greatness?
3: I think it's a, it's a combination of both. One, mental resolve. I think that everybody needs that because when you have goals and dreams, there will be resistance. Uh, an airplane cannot fly without the resistance of air. Walt Disney filed bankruptcy seven times and had two nervous breakdowns. That when you have goals and dreams, the book of life says, think it not strange that you face the fiery furnaces of this world. You will not, you might, you will have tribulations. So the ability when you are faced with something and it's, it's, it's new territory, when they said you have cancer, Those are three words no one ever want to hear. And the oncologist, Dr. Alfred Goldson, who was an unusual personality, he said, you have cancer and it's metastasized to seven areas of your body, including your spinal cord. I said, can you give me a second opinion? He said, yeah. And you're ugly, too. (laughs) (laughs) I know you didn't just call me ugly. He said, yes, I did. You're ugly as hell. We both were laughing, he said,
1: Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
2: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com pod five zero for 50% off.
4: The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley High Performance Sofas and Recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at Ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.
3: Determine the diagnosis. God in you determines the prognosis. You and God determine that. You got this. What I learned from that that enhanced my speaking... When you laugh, the mind shuts down and the heart opens up. I left there with a, a confident feeling in my heart. I got this. When he spoke it, I felt it at this cellular level. I did not leave there feeling fear. And and, and so like the ability to communicate, he was so good with making you feel comfortable with whatever you do dealing with that you are not in denial you just are defiant and so when your show which has changed millions of people's lives people you never meet what it does is distract dispute and inspire how we live our lives is a result of the story we believe about ourselves mm. what you do is distract them from what psychologists call their self-explanatory style and and through the process of, of your own example, your own vision of yourself, the guests that you have, the interviews that you have, you dismantle their current belief system, be you not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are renewing minds, expanding their vision beyond their indoctrination and mental conditioning. And you ignite their spirit where they decide to create a new chapter in their lives. That's, that's, that's what you do as a speaker and as a host, and, and people who watch and listen to your program. Right now, in America, before the coronavirus, suicide rate increased by 39%. And children between 5 and 11, it has tripled. How do you decide at 5 to take your life? And now it is, it is, it is, it is soaring, the suicide rate. So. What you do with this program, you're giving people hope. When there's hope in the future, that gives a person power in the present. That that they can they can get through it. They might not know how they're going to do it, but they have the mindset. Robert Shuler said, "Tough times never last, but tough people do." Mm. And and so that you 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 share with them a voice of transformation because, and I share this with speakers that I train, who you are behind the words that you speak are more important than the words. Because had you not gone through what you have gone through and experienced, you would not be able to speak from a place of power. You would not be able to come in and do this this program, and and call this the the school of greatness, that you've got greatness in you. You have the ability to do more than you can ever begin to imagine. And then affirm and validate people as we are facing this pandemic. It's it's to, to be able to say that from a place of power. The spirit of who you are comes through your words. And people feel that when you speak. And they hear it. Your sincerity, your genuineness. And that's why your program is popular, because you impact people, because you know a thing or two, because you've seen a thing or two. <laughs> I appreciate that. Les.
0: Yes. You know, it's interesting you talk about suicide rates increasing. Unfortunately, I was, again, I was going on a drive to San Francisco over the weekend, uh, taking my girlfriend up the coast of California, and she'd never seen it, had a beautiful experience. And as we're driving back into Los Angeles, drive. I, I live in a, a condo building, a tall condo building. It's probably 35, 40 stories high. And as we pull into the, the building, uh, I'm about to park. I see police with a yellow tape and a white tent uh, and over the kind of driving area. And I remember just thinking to myself, there's no way someone jumped off this building. There's no way someone did this. And I asked right away, I go, tell me someone did not jump. And the guy looked at me and he just said, yeah, a couple hours ago. And I go, you're kidding me. And I later found out it was reported in the news. This was yesterday.
1: Yesterday.
0: Yesterday. This just happened. Wow. It, was, it kind of shook me up a little bit too. And literally I, I learned that the person who jumped is my building. It was literally right next to my window, a few floors up. He jumped out of his name is Steve Bing. It's all over the news right now. And this was a very successful uh, businessman who 50, 55 years old, I think um, worth, I think it was reported he was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, a very successful businessman mm-hmm. who is close friends with uh, Bill Clinton, who I saw Clinton made a statement about as well. And it, I, I haven't stopped thinking about it since yesterday. I was thinking about it all night. You said it was hard for you to sleep last night from stuff Mm -hmm. you saw. For me, it was hard for me to sleep last night thinking about the pain and the suffering that people go through inside that we may never know about. And, you know, I was trying to rationalize, like, why would this happen? Was it drugs? Was it depression? Was it – like, I can't reason sometimes why this happens to someone who you think it would never happen to or someone who had – all the things on the outside that seem to be successful but for whatever reason i don't know and i don't know how to make sense of that type of stuff do you know how to make sense of things when you see that
3: well the i had a guy he wrote me and and i, I kept this this text where he had already, he had tied a, a news together he was going to hang himself had it around his neck and and he was going to get a chair He's trying to look a place where he can suspend himself and, and, and place the rope. And the phone rang. And he had said to himself, God, give me a sign. So with the rope around his neck and holding it in one in part of it in his head, he answered his cell phone. And there was nobody there. Mm. And he took that as a sign. And he said, in that moment, he... Uh, he was listening to me and he remembered a statement I made that life is God's gift to us and how we live our lives is our gift to God. And wow. He, said he asked himself, why would I throw my life back in God's face? I was talking about the fact that we were chosen one out of 400 million sperm that you are a masterpiece because you're a piece of the master. And he said, I kept saying to myself, I'm a masterpiece. I'm a piece of the master. And he talked himself back from those suicidal thoughts. He really didn't want to die. He wanted to stop the pain that he was experiencing from the breakup of the relationship, from the loss of his job, from what he felt his life had the rug snatched out from under it. He's among those 40 million 500,000 people who have lost their jobs in the coronavirus economy. And, and so the, the, that's why what you're doing is so important because when you, you go through an experience, you have the school of greatness. Not elementary school, high school, college. No one is saying to people, you have greatness in you. And, and, and those type of structures, even in church. And, and so the, the reason that I advance with that, you know, the Book of Life says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, that you have greatness within you. That, that when I, Mr. Leroy Washington, who when I was so captivated by this man's oratorical skills, he was a speech and drama teacher, and he asked me to do something. You know the story. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to go before him and 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 read a, a script really before the class. And I said, "Sir, I can't do that. I'm not one of your students." And he said, "Do what I'm asking you to do anyhow." I said, "I can't, sir." And he, and the other students started laughing, saying, "He's Leslie. He's got a twin brother, Wesley. Wesley is smart. He's DT." And he asked, "What's DT?" He's the dumb one. And I said, "I am, sir." He said. Don't you ever say that again. Someone's opinion of you does not have to become your reality. And he did that. I was startled. Because my mother said, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. But words can hurt you, and very deeply. And when he said that, someone's opinion of you does not have to become your reality. I remember going to my next class, and I was out between classes, I kept saying that to myself. Someone's opinion of you does not have to become your reality. As I was going home, what they think about me, I don't have to be that. It's not what they call me. It's what I answer to and what I call myself. Dang. You know, that that was an interrupting moment. Wow. That's how you, the program is, it's a disruptor more powerful than Corona. Ooh, I, love I, always love, I always love hearing that story. That story
0: never gets old for me. Yeah. And how did you learn to overcome the opinions of others? But I think more importantly, the opinion of yourself, because if we have the program, we have, I am the dumb twin. Yes, sir. I am learning disabilities. I am this. How did you personally overcome your own biggest enemy?
3: He was a ferocious le- reader. And he gave me a book, James Allen, As a Man, Think It. That little pamphlet is a powerful little pamphlet. I've read it a lot. And The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. I read that over and over again. And other motivational books, uh, Secret of the Ages by Robert Caglia. And so reading those, he, he said, if you want to become successful, number one, develop your mind. And he was a a fan of Earl Nightingale, that you don't get in life what you want, you get in life what you are, Uh, the strangest secret in the world. I've listened to that so many times. I have wore it out. And, And then the other thing he said, develop your mind. Next thing he said, practice OQP, only quality people. Surround yourself with people that you can learn from, people that have more than you, people that will help you to grow mentally and emotionally and financially and spiritually. And the next thing he said, he said, which is the master key to opening up new worlds for you is your ability to communicate. Because once you open your mouth, you tell the world who you are. And I I, I believed him and I followed that. I, I never forget there, there. when I was in Poland and I was in this stadium and and I saw my name up and people started chanting when they saw me coming through the tunnel. Mm. And I said, Mr. Washington, this one is for you, sir. You wow. know, he's gone, he's been gone. I eulogized him. I said, I'm gonna make you proud today because it was my first time <laughs> in Poland, you know. And and so, but I, I so admired him. I've never known my father or birth mother, but that the ability to to, to connect with people that are strangers to you and, and can create a shift in their, their lives and how they see themselves, to have that sacred opportunity to share your story and distract, dispute, and inspire them to, to realize as the play Lion King, Simba, you are more than that which you have become. That's what you do every day up in yeah. here, up in here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, I, I love this. I remember last time we talked, you said you wanted to really leave a legacy by teaching other people how to speak and communicate better. And you were creating a select smaller group, I think. I think it was either yeah. 50 or a hundred people that you wanted to train and speak. Are you still doing that? Because I had a friend yes. who was going through the program with you or who hired you. Uh, my my buddy Judd. So I didn't Judd, know. If- oh, I
3: know Judd. That's my dude. That's yeah, my yeah. brother from another mother. mother, mother. Let's <laughs> exactly. Let's, yes, man. From Australia. Yeah. The, yes, I'm I'm training, but I'm I've had to increase that number. I, I do intense one-on-one training, mm. but I'm selective about working with a lot of people right now. Mm. But we do it virtually now. I can do it more virtually. Yeah. Because we don't. You don't. Want, I'm. You know. I'm seventy-five. So I cannot afford with, with underlying issues of, of diabetes and cancer. And 75, if you show up at the hospital, they'll, they'll push you in a coat over there and say, no, you're about to leave here anyhow. So we're <laughs> not going to waste any medicine on you. Uh. <laughs> so i stayed out of the hallway. I'll tell you how bad it is, Louis. I'm upstairs by myself, right? I sneeze. And then I broke out, and I started running downstairs. I said, wait a minute. That was my sneeze. So I came back upstairs, and I still started spraying the (laughs) lights (laughs) off. I called my daughter. I said, I think I'm having a meltdown. I want to go out the house. She said, no, you can't go anywhere other than Walgreens and Publix, and we will drive you there. You don't need to be behind the wheel. I said, I'm not that old, so. I'm I'm being very, very disciplined and keeping myself out of harm's oh, that's way. That's good. That's good. Keep my mask. That's good. Doing all the stuff that we need to do. Common yeah. sense. I guess that's practice. What do you think has been the biggest challenge
0: you've had to overcome, let's say, since your 30s or 40s? Because the first part of your life was a lot of learning to overcome the mental uh, challenges, the the self-talk. Um, the believing in yourself, that type of challenge, I would say, which got you to a level of success and uh, accomplishment and speaking in front of hundred. I remember seeing a video on YouTube of you in front of like a hundred something thousand people running around on stage saying, you've got to be hungry, which is one of the most famous talks of all time. Probably. What would you say is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome since, you know, you 30 or 40 in the last uh, 40, or 50 years, is there different types of doubts, different types of challenges once you've kind of mastered a certain level of success?
3: The biggest challenge that you face is going from believing to knowing. That's the place that you, that you go to. I went into the Georgia Dome. I did not believe I could command an audience of 80,000 people. Mike Williams, my mentor, who, who wrote the book called The Road to Your Best Stuff, he was there with me. He said, Brownie? And I said, yes. And he, he, he saw my hands trembling. He said, look at me, Brownie. I said, yes. He said, you can do this. And when he said that, I knew it. And I said, thank you, Mike. And they gave me the microphone. That's the last thing I remember. I don't remember giving this speech, but here's what I knew. (laughs) I can do this. He said, speak from your heart. And I was working with a young man the other day, an incredible voice. and, And he had memorized his script. And I said, I want you to give me this again. And I want you to know you can do this. You don't need this script. We're talking about your life. And I want you to speak from this place of knowing. And his whole countenance changed, and he gave it from his heart. And it was it was not the, the training he had got. It was very mechanical. You know, they, the Dale Carnegie course, which is a great course, said, "Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell and then them." Tell what you told them. <laughs> you told them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I Toast, said, what I learned at yeah. Toastmasters also, yeah. Yeah, and I said no. Mike Williams taught me. My mentor. Brownie, never let what you want to say get in the way of what your audience wants to hear. Conduct communications intelligence. Find out who they are and then speak to that. Find
1: their sweet spot and focus on that. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
2: Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.
3: And, and so I asked him some key questions about his life, to find out about his character and and how he came to be the person that he is now. And, and, and Martin Seliman in the book called Learned Optimism, he said between the ages of zero and five, we develop permanent personality characteristics. And there's a voice in our heart that says yes, or it says no. And there are behaviors that follow us from for the rest of our lives. And And what came up for him, his father, his father was a very kind guy and, and a very strong man, military man. He loved him, but he didn't. the The, the father didn't know how to show the love. I, mm-hmm. I said he did the best that he knew how. And I so I said I, I want you to find the good. Let's focus on the good of what that experience was like. This man who's very regimented, very structured. Um, how? Tell me some good things that you remember. And first, he was was very tense. And then he started thinking about it. His body relaxed. He said, you know, my father, he could fix a real good hot water cornbread. I said, is that right? I said, my mother could make a good sweet potato pie so good you can't eat it with your shoes on. Have to kick shoes off so you can wiggle your toes. That's what my father's bread was like, and he got I got a whole different personality out of him. That other part of his personality, without the script, and I said, I want you to speak from that place of love. Let's let's work from that place, and we threw the script in the trash can, and now. Man, when he speaks, I, I'm like a little kid because I'm a groupie, man. I for great speakers, <laughs> and I was crying like a little baby. I said, "You did it! That's what I'm talking about." Yes, I hear your footsteps, but I'm not afraid of you. I'm not scared. Okay, <laughs> you're gonna hear, it. man. Yes, yeah. Jamal Nelson, you're gonna hear. It.
0: I love that, and I think a lot of us we we speak from our head and not from our heart, and it hurts us. You know, it it disconnects us to other people's hearts when we're speaking from the mind only as opposed to connecting heart-to-heart emotionally, whether it's from one-to-one or one-to-80,000. And I think that's one of the things you do so beautifully, and you continue to show me on this interview, is just connecting to my heart and connecting to millions of people listening through story, through taking us back, through putting us in the place I can see myself – Uh, as a little boy next to you watching you getting beat by your woman with the police officer on his horse with the Billy, uh, Billy club. I can see that image as if I was there and to create that connection makes it real from the heart. So you're a master at this. I got, I got to do a one-on-one session with you someday. I'm going to, I'm going to make that happen. So I'm going to reach out to you. after this. I
3: love this story. I've done a lot of research on you. There's some good stuff up in there. I like to use for you to look at. Yeah, then if For you me sure. show you, and if you don't, I will use it. I said, you know, I got a friend Let me <laughs> I appreciate David that, David Lewis. All right, and when it comes to greatness, uh, he is the absolute personification of greatness itself. He teaches you how to turn adversity into greatness. Let me give you an example. Oh yeah, I got a place to go. <laughs> uh, I've been reading; it's just very fascinating. I uh, appreciate that, Les. Yeah, when, we've got to have to, uh,
0: you know, once Corona's over, hopefully we can we can say hi in person and uh, and make it happen, whether it be in L.A. or if i got to come to Atlanta, we'll make it happen there. Um, <clears throat> you've got this, this book called You've Got to Be Hungry. Why did it take you so long to finally put this book out? And what should we know about it? I want everyone to get this book.
3: It's different than any other book that's been out there because – It's one thing if you are in a majority culture and you're part of the majority. I sent a letter to Gunther Rinker, and they sponsored the infomercial for Tony Robbins. And they sent me back a letter saying, we acknowledge we receive your requests for a partnership to do an infomercial, but you're Black. And and we don't believe that America is ready for a Black speaker. So I sent them back a letter saying, Thank you for reminding me that I'm black. I I never would have known that if you hadn't told me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of rejection. He got the complexion of connections. <laughs> so, so I said, I see you from the top. <laughs> and but that was that was a good thing because it, it, it brought something out of me that says, my destiny is not in your hands. I'm going to find a way to win. People that, that are manifesting their greatness, they find a way to win. They are no matter what people. They're like a Walter P. Price, Chrysler. Chrysler fell 49 times in the automobile industry. They find a way to win. Uh, I remember when Muhammad Ali was knocked down the first time by Joe Frazier. And and Howard Cosell asked him, why did you jump up so quickly? And Muhammad Ali said, I looked around and saw where I was. And he said, a canvas is no place for a champion. He said, and I jumped back up. And and so when you have living your place life from a place of knowing that there is something in me that I, I strongly believe there there's a dimension about us that very few people reach for. And I think that's the greatness and that, that that most people become discouraged when when their their athletic careers have been cut short and they felt that that's that was the only slot for them in life. And, and they find someplace else that they will show up and say, I'm going to take a stand here. I'm going to make a difference in people's lives. I'm going to let people know that just because things stopped over here does not mean that you don't have something of value and power over here in this area here. And so you reinvented yourself. And so that that, that life will give us all type of stuff to overcome. You take a person's eyesight, then you have a Ray Charles or a Stevie Wonder. So so life will always challenge us. I, I have this quote I love that said, in life, you will always be faced with a series of God-ordained opportunities, brilliantly disguised as problems and challenges. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that mm-hmm. those of us that have been picked out to be picked on, that the greatness has been recognized in us. And that we, as a result of that, we, we release what Elizabeth Browning called the imprisoned splendor. We rise to the occasion when others fold, when others buckle and run with the tails between their legs. And it, it brings something out of you that would not give birth had it not been for that adversity. Oh, man. Can you just keep talking for
0: the next five hours? I can <laughs> listen to you all day, my man. I appreciate it. <laughs> I can listen to you all day, Les. Thank um, you. I want I want people to get this book, and
3: I don't know and if there's. It will teach them how to overcome adversity. I've gone through so much. I got. To, I'm gonna share this with you. Yeah. I'm gonna just do this. My mother said my mouth is like a refrigerator. I can't hold nothing. <laughs> I went through an experience with opiates, and the. The, the, the challenging part for me was not going cold turkey to get off it. But my kids, i never forget, I was in a hospital for nine days and I didn't know it. And I didn't even know how I got there. And so when my son, my second oldest son, Patrick, was driving me to my youngest daughter's house and I saw these cars, I said, uh, what are these cars doing here? He said, you soon you get inside. So I came in and I saw Mike Williams, Mike, who's been my mentor for 51 years and and my other kids and two people that I didn't recognize. And I said, is this an intervention? He said, yes. I said, who is it for? He said, for you. Me, I'm the intervention king. No, dad. You've been in the hospital for nine days. Nine days? No. And then I said, yes, you're unconscious. Why? We don't know. We would just call and said, you're at University Hospital. And and then I went to each one of them. I said, look at me. I taught you not to smoke, not to drink, not to do drugs. Do you think I would misrepresent you as your father? And do something so stupid. He said, no, but there are two types of drug addicts, Dad. What are you talking about? There are people who pursue drugs and people who are prescribed drugs. You've been prescribed and you just cooperated. It's just too many. We want you to live. We don't want you to die like Prince. We want you to live. Man, I went to each one of them. That was the most humiliating experience my whole life. And so my youngest daughter said, Daddy, you teach us that you can't read the label when you're locked in a box. You need help. Mm. And she started crying. You taught us to get help, not because we're weak, but because we want to remain strong. And I want you to do, uh, do this for us. So I said to this couple, I said, OK, I'm ready to go. They said, no, 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 we, we'll come tomorrow morning. I said, no. I said, you're going to have to take me tonight. You come here tomorrow morning, I will not be here. I've never been in any place that I couldn't leave when I want to. You, you need to do this tonight. So they drove me for about four hours to Middleton, Middletown, Ohio, to this drug program and I stayed there five days. People doing double takes, are you Barry White? No, you can't be Les Brown, the motivator. Yes, I am Les Brown. I know that voice, you you gotta be, I've been listening to you for a long time. What are you doing here? My children say that I'm hooked on drugs. So after those double takes for five days, I went into the director, I said, listen to me, there are two types of people, drug addicts. There are ones who prescribe drugs, and there are ones who go seeking drugs. I said, I was prescribed these drugs for pain, for the sciatica pain and pain for cancer. That's eating 40% of my T1 vertebrae in my spine. And this guy said, every junkie's got a story. Mm. Man, I grabbed the phone on his desk. I was about to bust him in the head. (laughs) And this lady, who is his administrative assistant, she said, Mr. Brown, please. I've been listening to you since I was a little girl. And she's crying. She said, trouble is easy to get into and hard to get out of. Please don't hit this man with this telephone. (laughs) I was about to buzz him in. He called me a junkie. (laughs) I called my son and said, you better come get me or I'm walking away from here. It was like 12 degrees outside, right? I'm four hours from Columbus. And he came. And I was was leaving. The director said, he'll be back. I said, I will not. And I went cold turkey. They they rushed me to the Cleveland Clinic about six different times. And I heard them say on the other side of the curtain, said, you know, if he's in his 30s, he can do it not in his 60s, and that night I prayed to Mamie Brown, my adopted mother, and my birth mother. I said, I don't know your name. You gave birth to me, but I need the two of you to get together and help me have the strength to get through this. They wanna give me a drug called Suboxone, and it's addictive. First time, shame on them. They prescribe these drugs to me, And I'm addicted. Now they're going to give me a drug that's addictive. And they say, it's harder to get off. But at least I just be on one addictive drug. I said, I can't knowingly take something that's addictive. The other ones, I didn't know. But this, I cannot make myself do it. Man, I passed out. I had these dry heaves. Ah! Ah! I was taken there six different times, unconscious. The night I prayed to both my mothers, I said, I need your help. Please help me, because I'm not going to do this. And then the next morning, Lewis, I had no gagging, no dry heaves. The next morning, when I got up, I had an appetite. The next morning, no cold chills and and hot flashes. Next morning, I got my strength back, and I knew I was on the other side of it. And I said to them, both of them, thank you so much. Thank you for getting me through this experience. Y'all can rest now, because I ain't going to be taking, I won't even take an aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> Well they when well, they prescribe something for being Cancer Citizen of America, I ask them, what's in this? Mm. Is it addictive? Do you have non addictive pain medication? We do. Why didn't you prescribe that to me? You really wanna know? Yes, I do. The addictive ones are more expensive. Wow. The pills pay the bills, Mr. Brown. The pills pay the bills. I'm wow. sorry. I said, I am too. And I'm so glad that I'm not the young man that I used to be because I'd have tore this office up with you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. I hit you over the head, yeah. <laughs> About to make me lose my mind up in here. Up in here. About to make me act a fool up in here. Oh my God. But oh, you know, man. it's all good. Had I not been fired from radio, we would not be having this conversation. Absolutely. Had I not gone through the experience, there are people, and why I wrote her in the book, I could have, I said, there, we have three lives. We have a public life, we have a private life, and we have a secret life. Mm. And I said, I'm going to share something I've never shared before. And I said, if it helps one person to know that it's possible that they can get off those drugs, then it's worth it to me. To risk my credibility and my reputation and share that with them. Because they're going to say, if Les Brown can do it, I can do it. At 75, he's a tough cookie. And they're yeah.
1: right.
0: <laughs> you are, man. I appreciate you, Les. I miss you, man. I hope to get to hug you soon. Uh, yes. I appreciate your energy, your presence, your storytelling as always. I really acknowledge you for the incredible gift you are. I know both your mothers would be incredibly proud of you for how you continue to show up, how you face adversity and inspire people like myself and and anyone that turns on your voice and reads your words and is a witness to your example. You're an incredible gift to this world, Les. I appreciate you. <clears throat> and I want everyone to go get this book. They can go uh, get it online on Amazon. They can go to your website. We'll have it all linked up in the show notes as well. They can follow you on Instagram, Dles Brown or Les Brown 77 on Twitter. You are your gift, man. I want to. I want to finish with um, sharing what you shared last time in our interview. I asked you what your three truths would be, and I'll share them here. What you said: you said live your life from a place of love, live your life from a place of faith, and give the world your best, your full, and die empty. I also asked you your definition of greatness, and I want to get your final thoughts here in a second. You said greatness is willingness to live life courageously, to take. Changes to make impact, to take chances, and to make an impact. Know there's something bigger than us, and surrender to something you love. And uh, that was your definition of greatness a few yes, years ago. Yeah,
3: going to add an amendment to it.
0: Yes, let's hear it. Live a life that will outlive you. Ooh, I love it, man! Thank you for your gift and your example. I can't wait to see you soon. Uh, I'll text you soon. I'll email you, and uh, we'll continue chatting, my friend.
3: All right. Appreciate it. Now, those who want one on one coaching, they can email me lesbrown77 at gmail.com.
0: Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Because we want more people to do one on one with you for sure. We need more great speakers
3: in the world. Thank you. I can break it out, but I want us to share the stage together.
0: I would love to. We've got our event in Ohio next year. We have to postpone it this year for next year. So if you could come September. Columbus, Ohio.
3: Yeah. I've got 15 grandchildren there. Yeah. Let's do it. Ohio Theater. yeah, I'm I'm suing the the Catholic Church because I got class action suit because the, the rhythm method does not work. I have rhythm, but the rhythm method does not work. I have five boys and five girls, and fifteen grandchildren and four grandsons. Wow! You don't know about the rhythm method. Okay, so <laughs> you just <missed
1: that. laughs> the See, rhythm producers
3: method. will tell you. Okay. <laughs> the rhythm method they will tell you i forgot uh, you
0: <laughs> i love it, man. you got a lot of kids you got rhythm
3: <laughs> i sneeze that a woman should get pregnant
0: <laughs> less i appreciate you so less brown 77 uh where, where can they email
3: email.com at I, gmail.com okay perfect we'll link
0: it all up less i appreciate you man let's let's talk soon brother
3: i appreciate you so much thank you love you love you too man thanks less
0: yeah. thank you so much for listening to this episode with my friend les brown make sure to share this with someone you care about today who you think will find value in this who will inspire them who will improve their life send them this link right from apple from spotify or lewishouse.com slash 971 and also, if this is your first time here, please subscribe and leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. It will help us get the message out to more people and inspire greatness in others. And if you want more inspirational messages from me, every week I shoot out text messages, audio notes, videos to my text community. You can send me a message, with the word podcast, to 614-350-3960. Again, text me the word podcast to 614 614- and check out the podcast description for links to other similar impactful podcasts if you enjoy this one we have other related episodes in our catalog that I think you'll enjoy as well and I want to close with this quote from Winston Churchill who said success is not final failure is not fatal it is the courage to continue that counts As Les says, you've got greatness within you. I'm so grateful for you. I love you so very much. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do
1: something great.
2: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
4: Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley.